Interested in virtualization? Looking for something other than just KVM? Or maybe interested in the Zen server? Well, this episode of Floss Weekly is for you, so stay tuned. Floss Weekly is brought to you from LastPass Studios. Stay in control when it comes to your company's access points and authentication. LastPass makes enterprise-level security simple for your remote workforce. Check out lastpass.com slash twit to learn more. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Floss Weekly, episode 575, recorded on Wednesday, April 22nd, 2020. XCPNG. This episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by Worldwide Technology. WWT's Advanced Technology Center is like no other testing and research lab, with more than a half billion dollars of equipment, including solutions from key partners like Intel Corporation. And it's virtual, so you can access it 24-7. To learn more and get insights into all that it offers, go to www.com slash twit. Hello and welcome to Floss Weekly. We've got a great show for you today. Uh, I am your host today, Jonathan Bennett. Uh, Randall is a bit under the weather today. Uh, unfortunately, won't be able to make it with us, but that's all right. We're going to soldier on and have a great show. Uh, and I have a wonderful co-host with me, Simon Phipps. Simon, welcome to the show. Why, thank you, Jonathan. This is getting to be a habit now. Uh, this is like the uh, second yes, it time is. this year. <laughs> that's okay it's always it's always fun to get to have a show with you um one of the uh, one of the things about randall always being co-host is that i don't get to hang out with you guys very much uh and and that's kind of a shame because the the whole group of co-hosts here on floss weekly are, are pretty neat guys and so it's always fun to get to uh uh to double up with one of y'all instead of randall not 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 saying anything about <laughs> randall of course just uh I'm just it's nice waiting to, have for him to pop up in the chat now and, and, and complain about all this because it's going to happen any moment <laughs> I'm sure he'll let me know next week. Let us know. Um, but uh, so we're not we're not here to talk about the uh, Floss Weekly Silver Opera and, and Days of Our Lives of Randall. No, we're here to talk about open source software. And today we're talking about XCPNG. Uh, what what do you know about this, Simon? Um, uh, next to nothing, honestly. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, so the you know the dirty truth is I stepped in for Randall at uh, ten minutes' notice. And the piece of paper here with the details is still warm in my hands. Um, but uh, this looks like this is um, this is a, a continuation of, of uh, Zen hypervisor wizardry, and I'm looking forward to finding out what it's all about. <laughs> yes, it's uh, it seems to be a hypervisor project. It seems to be a, a, I don't know if it's a fork or just a compilation that uses Zen, but uh, the the Zen hypervisor is involved in there somewhere. Uh, we could continue making guesses about this, but we uh, happen to have the expert on the line that we'll bring in here in just a minute. But before we do that, I do have an announcement to read. This episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by Worldwide Technology. WWT created their Advanced Technology Center 10 years ago, and it has grown exponentially ever since. It's like no other testing and research lab. The lab contains more than a half billion dollars in equipment from hundreds of OEMs and key partners ranging from high-tech heavyweights to Intel, Dell EMC, HPE, and Cisco to emerging disruptors like Equinix. WWT is a trusted partner who stays with you over the years. Many of their customers have been with them for over a decade because they know WWT is where they can go to get the answers they need to make sure their business runs right. Their ATC is an incubator for IT innovation and offers hundreds of on-demand and schedulable labs representing the newest advances in multi-cloud architecture, artificial intelligence, IoT solutions built on Intel platforms, like the world's only Intel FPGA acceleration lab, Intel Select Solutions Lab for technologies like VMware vSAN and other cutting-edge solutions based on Intel's second-generation Xeon scalable processors and Intel's new tier of Optane Data Center Persistent Memory. Learn about products before you launch. WWT engineers use these environments to quickly spin up proofs of concept and pilots using the sandbox so that customers can confidently select the best solutions. In many cases, this reduces concept time from months to weeks and increases speed to market considerably. They offer lab as a service, a dedicated lab space within the ATC. Here, customers can perform programmatic testing using the vast technology ecosystem that WWT has already built. It's virtual. 
so you can take full advantage of ATC's unique benefits anywhere in the world 24-7. WWT engineers work in these labs every day, beta-tasting new edge-to-cloud solutions based on the latest and greatest Intel technologies and building reference architectures and custom integrations to help their customers make decisions and see results faster and with much less investment. WWT has launched their new digital platform encompassing the ATC ecosystem. This ecosystem creates a multiplier effect of knowledge, speed, and agility anytime, anywhere around the world for their customers. Get access to articles, case studies, hands-on labs, and other tools that make the difference in today's fast-paced world. To learn more about WWT, the ATC, and to become a member of their growing community, go to www.com twit to create an account and gain access to their on-demand labs today. WWT simplifies the complex. That's WWT.com slash twit. WWT, delivering business and technology outcomes around the world. And we thank WWT for their sponsorship. And with that, let's bring Oliver on. Oliver, welcome to the show. Thank you. So tell us, Tell us about uh, tell us about Zen and uh, XCPNG. What's what's the thirty thousand foot view here? Okay, so uh, in short, XCPNG is uh, like a distro, like Debian or Ubuntu, but it's a specialized distro bundling uh, Zen hypervisor and a tool stack around it. And the end goal is to provide something that's really easy to deploy. That's we call turnkey. So something that you just you know download the ISO, install it on your hardware, and you get something ready to roll. So that's a, a, a quick wrap of what's XCPNG. And, and so what does XCPNG bring to the table that uh, the other existing solutions don't? I know Citrix has a, a product based around this. Uh, there's like yeah. CoreOS from Red Hat. What's what's the difference? What's the differentiator? Okay. So, so basically you have multiple solution when it comes to open source virtualization. You have for example, at the hypervisor level, which is the, the engine running uh, on the platform, you have Zen or KVM. Um, on the Citrix side, they uh, acquired Zen uh, back in 2007, and they built a platform around it called Zen Server. So Zen Server was open source seven years ago. Uh, they decided to open source all the bits. And three years ago, they decided to do uh, the other way, and they started to remove features from uh, free edition and start to put license everywhere. So people were using Zen Server. We are not really happy about that. And so uh, we decided uh, to make a fork of this platform. So it's not a fork of Zen Hypervisor because we are using both Zen Hypervisor, but on the platform on top. So when I said a platform again, it's a distro that you just have to install and, and have a, a great API on top. So you can use it with a web UI called Zen Orchestra, for example. And so you have something that's uh, as easy to use than a uh, non-open source solution like, for example, VMware. So you can somehow compare it. So why just uh, uh, making this fork and not using another platform is that um, my opinion, uh, obviously biased, but uh, my opinion is that in open source, there's not a lot of uh, open source platform using virtualization that are really easy to use and deploy. Uh, there's a lot of things that you, you need to learn or to go through documentation. That's not always great. And so you, you take a lot of time to deploy a virtualization platform. So again, uh, the goal is not to reinvent the wheel, but to package all existing tools like uh, a Zen hypervisor, a Linux kernel, an API, etc., within something that's just work out of the box. So this is a way to differentiate against uh, other solutions. So so let's kind of break this down and talk at it one, one step at a time. The, the bottom layer here is essentially the Zen hypervisor. And, that's correct. And that that is a that's an open source project that a whole bunch of companies uh, uh, contribute to, right? Exactly. So Zen Project is a project hosted inside the Linux Foundation, and you have a lot of cooperation between, uh, for example, but uh, not just them, but Citrix, AWS, because I remember that uh, I remember you that AWS is using Zen. Uh, at scale, at very, very large scale uh, for their own needs. Uh, you got Alibaba, you got AMD, Intel, etc. So there's a lot of huge companies contributing to Zen. 
But this is contribution for something that's really the, the core engine. And it's really hard to use just the engine alone. You need something, uh, a stack around it. So, for example, AWS did their own uh, non-open source stack to manage their own cloud. Citrix did their own stack around Zen called Zen Server, and et cetera, et cetera. So um, the, the, the thing is that we are not, again, reinventing the wheel, but we are building using a lot of small blocks to build something that's pretty easy to use. Mm-hmm. And what's the uh, what's the primary difference between a hypervisor like Zen and another solution like, say, the KVM? Okay, so those are the two main open source hypervisor. And I would say that the differences are more about uh, the design, the architecture around it. Zen, um, historically, is the first uh, open source hypervisor. Uh, it's was born in 2003, so it's pretty old. Uh, and uh, the great thing about Zen is that there, you have a great isolation. It means when you boot on your physical hosts, you are not booting a Linux kernel directly. You are booting first on Zen. And then Zen will boot something called a DUM0, which is a privileged domain, which is a VM accessing all the hardware. And from them, uh, from there, you will put, uh, you will create VMs, you will attach storage, etc., etc. So KVM is a bit different because KVM is first booting the Linux kernel and then it's a module built around the kernel. So for the end user, the main difference is not really uh, visible in terms of uh, technical aspects. Uh, but where it's more visible, it's the ecosystem. So, for example, you have different ways to manage KVM uh, uh, virtual machines, and it's a bit different in the Zen world. So I would say, again, that's my opinion, but the KVM, KVM world is a bit fragmented because there is a lot of different ways to administrate it. There is a uh, different tool stack, and there is different, I would say, implementation or a way to use it. And in the Zen world, uh, we had uh, something in open source available for everyone that was great. That was Zen Server. But uh, Zen Server had its issues like uh, being built only by one company uh, with its own interests. Uh, and then it means you, you didn't have really a community built uh, around Zen Server. So that was also one reason of the fork is... Um, when you, there is only one player doing something, and if the interest of the player isn't aligned with the community, then it's a bit difficult to improve the product. So we tried, for example, to to contribute to the project, etc. But it it wasn't, I think, really really easy to do that. So somehow we decided to to transform a project that was. Uh, um, one-sided to something that's more uh, community-oriented and answering more about the user's need. Yeah, and that's really that's the beauty of open source licenses uh, is that you can do that. Uh, you can you can splinter off, and of course sometimes that's a negative thing, but most of the time it's a positive thing. You can splinter off these two uh, two different groups that have two different sets of goals, and you can have you know Citrix continues their fork of the the community and of their server, and then you've got this community based version of it. Um, have you have you gotten a, a lot of community buy in? That that sounds like that was one of your original goals. You feel like you fulfilled that goal. Yeah, uh, I think we managed to to do that at least at the user level because recently we've uh, crossed uh, the milestone of getting uh, 100,000 unique downloads of the ISO. So it's a, a big number and we are really proud to uh, be able to, to do that because obviously the first uh, a challenge when you are doing a fork is to have your users to follow you and, you know, uh, try the product and play with it, etc. So I would say that's the initial success of the project was to have this community built around. And and this is really great. And the next step, I would say, for an open source project like that is to uh, to go beyond a user community, but starts to interact with people that will, you know, uh, submit uh, documentation, uh, report issues and patches. And so it started also. Uh, another way to, to also measure the success of a project is to have a way where people can discuss about it and exchange about it. And for example, we got a forum on xcpa-ng.org slash forum. There's a lot of people there, uh, um, more than 3,000 3, people uh, on the forum. And 
what's great is you know when you realize at one at one day that uh, people are start answering each other without having you to get all the answers and when when you are seeing that i think that's really a good sign that the community is really healthy and people start to help each other and i, I think this is a way to to have a great start for an open source project Mm-hmm. And, and what about the other direction? What's what's your uh, relationship with Citrix look like? Are you guys able to cooperate some on on getting bugs fixed and things like that? Yeah. So so uh, well, our um, politics in in that is to do everything upstream first. So for example, where we are contributing to uh, to patches for the platform related to bugs or improvements, etc., we are pushing everything upstream first. So it means, for example, uh, we added some extra features inside the platform that weren't inside the original Zen server, like ZSTD compression, you know, compression algorithm from Facebook, allowing us to, to compress faster when doing backups. And recently we added uh, another feature called a, a RAM enabled backup, allowing you to backup VMs uh, with uh, its live memory so you can restore it later without losing the context of the memory. And we did that uh, uh, entirely by pushing a pull request on GitHub. And I say that's, uh, that's really fine because um, obviously when you start a fork, the original developers are, uh, uh, you know, some, somehow... Uh, are waiting for contribution and maybe, you know, are not really happy by someone just taking the code and rebranding it in, in something else. But we, we had to prove, and I understand that, we had to prove that we were able not just, you know, to revamp something and and, and put it uh, with another logo and that's pretty much it. So our goal was to contribute uh, uh, to the project upstream and we did that and we continue to do that. And there is more and more, I would say, exchange uh, uh, discussions uh, with uh, Citrix developers, and we really start to have a, a good uh, uh, a good contact with all of them regarding this. So I think it's going uh, really into the right direction, and because uh, yeah, our objective are a bit different than Citrix because with XCPNG we are targeting more uh, the server virtualization market, and as you may know, uh, Citrix is really into uh, remote desktop stuff. So. Uh, uh, virtual desktop, virtual machines using with Windows to do remote desktop stuff. So that's why in the past, uh, that's one of the reasons they were not really aligned uh, with what we wanted to do with XCPNG uh, in the end, which is uh, a really listening user about uh, uh, server virtualization uh, things that they wanted to do. Uh, so we, we kind of have to acknowledge the uh, gorilla in the room here as it's become, and that's uh, containers, Docker, Flocker, and, and the entire mm-hmm. container ecosystem. Uh, do you guys see that as a competition kind of a, for the, the, the mind share of how we go about solving this problem? Okay, so that's an interesting question. And to be fair, uh, it's a question that I started to ask myself maybe six years ago or so while doing um, – a talk at uh, a Linux conference. So we, we've been uh, with my associate to a lot of uh, uh, LinuxCon in the past. So we we felt, you know, the buzz when the new technology is out. So eight years ago, it was all OpenStack and then it was all Docker, etc. cetera. Um, and, and then we, we had the opportunity also to discuss with a lot of our users. And what's really interesting is that because everyone now is using virtualization, uh, nobody wants to go back. It means that all these system administrators are using it to manage with a lot of flexibility their infrastructure. So it means uh, uh, for, for us that uh, container, containers and orchestration of containers are just another layer on top of it. So it, it's not a competition because I, I don't know a lot of people that are really uh, that really want to get rid of virtualization to, to play with Docker on bare metal. I mean, there are use cases from, for that, but in general, the penalty of using virtualization is really, really less than all the good things that you can uh, have it with it. Like, you know, the sysadmin can do any maintenance on the hardware and it will be complete, completely transparent for the uh, Docker user or, or Kubernetes user. So this... Uh, layer of abstraction is here to stay and it won't go away. But uh, what can be interesting is to have more a deeper integration between container management and, you know, VM management. And this is something that we have in mind 
to help people to deploy container faster or to have maybe an overview on containers on top of VMs. So that's clearly something that uh, we want to improve in the current web UI of XCPNG. There, there's certainly there's a, a lot of as you're talking, I'm thinking through this and there's a lot of little kind of niche questions and niche cases we could talk about with this interaction between uh, VMs and containers. But I think probably the, the one point that really comes to mind the most is uh, back when servers were one or two cores, the idea of having a VM and then containers on top of the VM didn't make sense. But nowadays that we're talking about, you know, your, your high end server hardware, you can have 256 individual threads cores, excuse yeah. me, 256 cores on a single server. I mean, there's the the performance penalty for running a VM is so low, it, it does make sense to use a combination of virtual machines and containers to kind of slice that into manageable sections. This is exactly, I would say, 95, 96% of use case we saw in the real world. So uh, virtualization uh, uh, is here to stay. I'm, I'm pretty convinced about that. Hi, there again. So I'm interested to know, you've been talking about, talking about community here. The community that you've got, is that all your customers or is it uh, uh, other people as well? Okay, so uh, um, community is, uh, I would say, counts for all users and customers. But uh, I would say customers are included uh, because they are they were users first, and yeah, you can download it without any registration. You can start to play with it without any you know a blocker. So the great thing about it is, as any other open source project, is the fact that you can uh, you know play with it, make a proof of concept, etc. So those users uh, will probably first came into the forum, ask some question around, and then will likely become customers. Uh, 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 just after that, if they need it, because business model is pretty simple. It supports, and it supports per machine, not per socket or per core or whatever. It's per machine. So larger the machine, cheaper the support is for you. So uh, that's why it's, it's pretty easy, no license file or whatever. So the goal is really to provide something that people will try to play with it. And then if they want to use it into production, obviously it's better to have professional support, but it's not mandatory. You can You have all the features entirely for free and without any limitation. It's not open core, it's fully open source. So who, what sort of applications is this being used for? Is this uh, uh, internet service providers or is this um, medium-sized well, companies, data centers, or is it's, it, what kind of users are there? Okay, so it's pretty everyone because I would say that uh, this this is exactly the same use case that if you had the question for VMware or another virtualization platform. We have users from one machine to more than 1,000 machines. Um, I know that everyone is talking about uh, the cloud and that kind of stuff, but there is still a lot of companies that want to host their own hardware on-prem uh, because they want to continue to have uh, something they, they manage themselves. They have you know, the data is completely safe. They know how things work. They can maintain their own network and uh, keep something uh, safe inside their walls or to a partner walls, into a data center, that kind of stuff. So really the use case is, I would say the generic use case of server virtualization market. So everyone running from, uh, you know, hosters of hosting websites to people even in the industry when they have a lot of data to save and to parse, to analyze, to make dashboard, they want to have VMs to, to, to do all that kind of stuff. So this is really something that's made for everyone who wants to have VMs and especially on the, the server virtualization VM. So it's pretty broad in terms of usage and of them of users and even customers. So as I said, uh, if you have one machine, even one big machine uh, for up to thousand of machines, then you can, you can use it. It scales pretty well. And um, in our community, I don't have exact numbers, but we have a part of the community which is uh, more focused on home labbers, you know, people that like to play with software without having any limitation, you know, to train about virtualization and kind of stuff. We have another large part uh, about um, ITs in companies, and uh, the rest is also people that uh, start to use it to make a proof of concept and, you know, come back with some feedback and ask for some features and that kind of stuff. And, and are you the only service provider in the community or are there others? 
for XCPNG right now, we are the main editor and we are uh, the main provider of support. But we we know that there is locally some people that I would call them integrator, you know, so people that are uh, got a really nice, uh, uh, deep relationship with their customers. And those people will be there to install uh, the machine, to install XCPNG on top of the machine and to set up everything. And, and there's more and more integrators or uh, uh, doing that kind of service. But uh, in the end, if you want to, I would say, um, a, the editor support, so people that actually are making improvements or bug fix inside the platform, then uh, we are the main editor right now. So I would say that's for level two support or higher than we are the guys to to call if you have an issue with it. Uh, and so you've got quite a big um, GitHub uh, site with lots of subprojects. It makes it quite difficult to track down the statistics, but uh, how many... Um, contributions are coming in from the community and how much of the work is being done by you? What's kind of the way to Okay, so um, depends of what you are calling exactly a contributor, but I would say that roughly, uh, I would say uh, 100 people came from uh, the outside uh, to report issues or to submit ideas or that kind of stuff directly on GitHub. But I would say that most of the community effort is visible on the forum. This is a place where it's easier for non-technical people to get feedback and report some issues. So we, we have some even recent example of people having a problem uh, with uh, a feature and reported that, and we've been able to find the issue. And <laughs> the first story be that, uh, uh, beneath that is uh, we've ended to have an issue in common with Zen server uh, uh, software because after after all we are a fork so we are sharing a lot of code and we reported this issue to Citrix and it seems that it slipped into their own QA but our community was able to find it so because we are an open source company from the start we understood the value of having a lot of people inside the community and if you like I, I prefer to have a user that. I, will never pay for a service for a software that we built, but that will use it uh, against a user that won't use uh, uh, the software at all. Because this user is able to do all the QA and all the some effort that even with millions that you can uh, reach to that level, because there are so many users around the world using so many hardware with so many use cases that you are discovering really interesting things that were under the radar before. Uh, so I want to jump in again, and uh, I, I know I'm going to pick up just on the same line of questioning that Simon was going to make. Uh, when someone makes a contribution to this project, is there a copyright assignment? Okay, so uh, we have to, um, to follow the rules of the Linux Foundation because since uh, January, um, the project was um, – uh, it is incubating inside the Zen project, with the, which is inside the Linux Foundation. So we are in the process of applying all the rules of the Linux Foundation for uh, doing open source. So the goal of being inside that foundation was to be able to not have this project only with, you know, one umbrella corporation uh, around it, but uh, the opposite, you know, to avoid uh, any possibility uh, and to, that, to make something that Citrix did. So we have when when, you did, when we choose to make the fork, we knew that the community already had, uh, um, um, let's say, uh, real, not really happy with the Citrix decision. So they knew that it could happen, uh, happen again. So the thing was for us to build a trust, uh, a real trust with our users coming from the Zen Server world, and to tell them that if they spend time improving the product with us, uh, contributing to the project then we won't be able to do a move like Citrix did. So for doing that to protect the project, we decided to put it inside the Linux Foundation. So this means uh, uh, we are not, uh, you know, uh, the only company uh, having all rights on all the code. And I would say that uh, XCPNG uh, is not just one repo or one piece of code. Uh, as I said, it's a collection of a lot of open source projects like Zen, like Linux, like QMU, like uh, 
Zappi, which is the API written in OCaml. So it means that we are we need to uh, you know do contribution to these uh, these existing projects following their way to do it. So uh, it's it's more doing all the glue around building the ISO, the create new improvements inside the uh, repo, add features, etc. So we we are the the GitHub organization. Uh, is really something for everyone, and it's just mainly hosting projects from other repos. So again, it's it's not something where you can have any concern regarding the way you contribute it. And again, we will follow all the Linux Foundation guidelines regarding the way you contribute. So to to have a simple answer to your question, well, uh, I don't know the exact guidelines from the Linux Foundation because it's really recent, so I don't exactly know all the conditions to contribute, but I really suppose it's made on purpose to avoid uh, companies getting control on one project. And this is exactly our goal. We want to build that trust and we don't want to be the only contributor to the project. Okay, um, I, I see on your bottom bottom third there, you've got uh, three different uh, three different URLs, three different uh, companies or organizations yeah. that you represent. What's the uh, what are these three, and what's kind of the difference? What's the delineation okay. between? Uh, so between uh, I, I will make you a, a quick a quick story about the company called Vates, uh, which is the mm-hmm. original company I've built. Uh, I co-founded with uh, two associates. So. Basically, uh, we've created the company eight years ago to do open source existing open source software integration for, I would say, local customers in France. And uh, we made a pivot because we've built Zen Orchestra for our own own needs to manage Zen server hosts. So basically, Zen Orchestra is a web UI to manage and back up your historically your Zen server hosts. And we've did that and we'll solve support for that. So we've become from uh, an integrator to a software editor, uh, maybe I would say five years ago, something like that. And then um, obviously uh, when we did that, uh, we we had one product called Zen Orchestra. And so the company name wasn't really important anymore. And since we forked Zen Server to build XCPNG, then we have more than one Product. When I say product, it's something that you can have with support. So obviously, it's all open source, and it's our DNA because when we created the company eight years ago, it was doing everything in open source, and uh, the the motto was open source solution. So as you can see, we were really open source from the core. And the thing is, I, I, I won't say by accident, but then we ended to fork Zen Server, but it wasn't really a plan from the start when we created the company at all. So we, we adapted to what happened inside this sector, and we decided that uh, it would worth it to, to fork it for all the reasons I told you before. So yeah, XCPNG is now the uh, uh, virtualization platform, Zen Orchestra the management platform, and all of that is uh, the, most of those contribution of the open source pro- products are made by Vates, which is a company which is around 20 people right now uh, working on, on improving both products. And um, again, our goal is to continue to do that, to be one of the main editor of those projects. Uh, the good thing also, uh, we've came from a, a, a web solution to manage Zen server, and now we have something more uh, um, let's say skills for the whole stack because now we have people with skills in Zen, uh, in API, in Linux, in QMU, etc. And we also have our historical skills on the web and backup UI. So the great stuff for us is finally uh, by reacting to some moves from other editors like Citrix, we've uh, created a strategy, uh, again, not really by accident, by, by just reacting to things happened. And that's now we have something that's really interesting for a lot of perspective, like technical perspective, but support perspective, because if you, if you want to use the whole platform with or without support, I mean, uh, it doesn't matter, but you can use it, all the features of both uh, uh, XCPNG and Zen Orchestra for free. Uh, and if you want support, then you come to us. But we have this, those skills that we didn't have before. So here is about the three uh, names, the domain names. Mm-hmm. And, and so what's what's next? What's coming in the future um, as, as you guys look forward over the roadmap? What, what can we look forward to next in the XCPNG project? Okay, so what's next? Uh, because now, as I said, we, we have the whole stack. 
it means that we are more able to integrate uh, exciting features because when you integrate a feature somewhere, you not always, but often need to, uh, I would say, modify the platform from one side, the web UI from the other side. So it means that you need the full skill set to, to bring new features. So I said uh, earlier uh, that about the RAM backup features that we did this way, we, we required some modification on, on both layers on the stack. And the future is pretty bright because uh, the team doubled in size uh, in the last six months. And we are hiring, and we're still hiring, uh, people with a lot of Zen, kernel, QMU knowledge. And the goal is to do a lot of research and development because to be fair, uh, there's not a lot of innovation inside the virtualization world because you've heard a lot of innovation inside the container world, et cetera, but people, everyone is using uh, uh, virtual machines, but people are most forget that they were using those. So we are working a lot to improve, uh, let's say storage performances, compatibility with uh, other uh, storage capabilities like uh, Gluster, Ceph, uh, ZFS, that kind of thing. We are also interested to make a port of Zen to other uh, architecture, others than x86. So we started to take a look at, for example, Rx5. Uh, we also know that Zen, the engine, is working on ARM. So why not maybe in the future having a platform, a whole platform running on top of ARM CPUs in the server world? Uh, we know that uh, uh, you probably heard about the buzz on ARM in server space maybe eight years ago or something like that, and it wasn't really uh, <laughs> a good thing in the end, and it, it didn't really work. But now I think there is more maturity in this market, and I'm I'm pretty sure that we will see more and more players doing the doing this, and especially since I would say that we had some issues with uh, Intel CPUs, you know, with Meltdown and Spectre, people started mm -hmm. to think about the hardware and they might use something else maybe, uh, at least, for example, AMD, but also started to think about doing things completely differently. So uh, we want to adapt to this possible trend that I think uh, that will come the next year. So we are investing a lot of research and development to improve the platform, to innovate, to bring new features to it, and also to keep an eye on what's going on inside the server market to adapt to new stuff that can come from there. I, I find it interesting that, that you, you made the statement that uh, many people have forgotten that they use virtualization. And I, I definitely understand the point about how there, there needs to be innovation happening there. But uh, at the same time, isn't that kind of the, the ultimate goal to reach in a, in a technology is where it works so well that you just forget it's there? That's correct, but at some point the hardware is evolving. So, for example, if you have very few performance penalty using HDDs, when you got SSDs and then NVMe's drive, you need to innovate because if you don't do that, uh, the, the bottleneck, the performance bottleneck will be visible in virtualization platforms. So there is some challenge in, in, into the virtualization world to be able to keep up the pace with all the innovation that's uh, happening inside the hardware world. So it doesn't mean that for now, if you are, let's say, almost the same performance of the native stuff, it doesn't mean that maybe in one year or two, you will be maybe lose 20% of the performances. And we can measure it. I mean, even for uh, the storage space, uh, uh, I, can, I can talk about the Zen itself and the Zen uh, storage performance uh, stack. It scales very well with a lot of VMs, but for one VM, there is some bottlenecks that you couldn't spot before because the storage layer was slow enough to, to hide those previous bottlenecks. So it's a commodity, that's that's right, but you, you need to continue to innovate. And also I think that's a good thing because it means that uh, you might be able to compete with very, very large players because hardware is moving fast and uh, as a small company, you have a lot of flexibility to, to try new things and maybe have products with even better uh, outputs, uh, better IOPS or whatever than large corporates. So uh, this is why I think it's it's not something rigid. You know, it's always moving with new pieces, new uh, kind of memory. Now you have some, you know, 
uh, obtained drive using 3D exploits that are really, really fast, and you can see some bottlenecks. So there's so many things to do that I'm pretty confident that all the work in research and development will pay because people still want to have something flexible uh, like virtualization, but they don't want to pay uh, a really a high price in performances for that. So there's so many things to do. Well, Olivia, uh, Oliver, uh, unfortunately, we're kind of getting towards the end of our show. We're running up against some some hard time limits. Uh, I, I do want to ask you, though, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you, you just absolutely wanted to make sure people know about? Uh, let me check. Uh, <laughs> well, I would say that um, a, a, quick, a quick recap that's uh, in short, uh, we want to build a platform that's really easy to use for everyone, that you don't need to spend uh, hours into a documentation to understand how to install it, and also to really listen people uh, uh, when they have some specific needs or requirements to be able to, to provide something that will gather a really large and large, larger community around it. So we've succeeded to that, but obviously we need to continue to grow on this. And the next, I would say, challenge for us, because we've succeeded with the community, is to build a real ecosystem around it. So this is something that we are working on. We are talking with a lot of partners, integrators, hardware vendors, etc., to be more visible uh, inside this space, to have the, the credibility that you need when you've done a fork that's uh, two years old. And then one of the interesting things about being kind of in the space that you're in is that you get to see uh, the different ways that people use this technology. And I'm always curious to ask, what is the the weirdest or most unexpected use case uh, that, or the weirdest or most <laughs> unexpected thing that you've seen someone do with this uh, with this platform? Um, that That's a good question because I've, I've seen so many things <laughs> that I consider really weird. Um, sometimes... Uh, people are probably forgetting that uh, they are doing uh, virtualization and try to do some stuff that sounds really not usual. We have people trying to use Wi-Fi adapters uh, for virtual machines. So it sounds a bit weird because, again, we are targeting the server market. So doing Wi-Fi for a server is a bit weird. But we also have uh, people doing a lot of uh, fun tests, uh, what I call inception, running a VM inside a VM inside a VM inside a VM to some really unexpected levels. So the result is pretty fun. It's really slow, but it works. And in the end, I think it's a good uh, showcase on how you can use virtualization to 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 use it for uh, a CI platform or test platform. So, uh, well, I think we had a project about someone wanted to do a kind of box uh, doing uh, all the home stuff, measuring you know temperature and all the things. Uh, the project was really interesting, but a bit convoluted, you know, a bit strange to use virtualization for such things. So we, we have users with one very low power machine and they want to pop tons of VMs on top of it and they just forget that in the end, a VM needs physical resources to work, you know, you need a physical CPU time, physical RAM, and, and, and somehow it's connected to the way that people forget uh, uh, virtualization because uh, people start to think that uh, you know, everything is working magically with it without any hardware, you know, because people are somehow brainwashed about the cloud and they think that <laughs> they can run something that's in the end, you have to run it on some hardware. So it's up to you to make mm -hmm. the choice where it will run. Will it run on AWS data center or will it run on-prem or whatever, but somehow, somewhere, you need to run it on physical hardware. And this is really something that people start to remember, I think, since we got the, all the Intel flows, because people really realized that uh, uh, security is not something that you just do on your software level, but on all the layers from the hardware, the UFI, the uh, IPMI things, you know, that can be hacked also. So I think security was a great reminder about that you need to care about all the layers. All right. I've got three more questions that I'm contractually obligated to ask. Otherwise, we get in trouble with our <laughs> listeners. Uh, the first is blockchain. Do you blockchain anywhere in this project? <laughs> well, I don't use this buzzword, but I, I know that we have some users using some blockchain application on top of it. Like you can do any kind of 
application on top of XCPNG. So I would say that we are not related to any directly any blockchain uh, thing, but people are, can use it as a platform to do blockchain operation or even as we said with containers, you can run containers on top or whatever. So it's, it's really agnostic on what you are running on top of it. Sure. And, and then uh, what's, your, what's your favorite text editor? Um, <laughs> this is a question that could be a framework pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> to, 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 to be fair, to be fair, uh, um, since I'm driving two teams, both Xenacus and XCPNG.org, I'm not coding a lot anymore. But last time I did it, I'm, I have a, a bit of shame to, to, <laughs> to tell it that I'm using uh, VS Code. So, yeah, I'm using hey. a Microsoft product, but I, I swear this is the only Microsoft product I'm using, except Skype, but it's for you guys, so. <laughs> uh, no, that's all right. In fact, VS Code is really becoming popular among developers. It's it's uh, it's pretty good, it's and it's open really source. It's really great tool, and our developers, yeah, our developers are using it a lot uh, to build San Orchestra and, and XCPNG, and it works well. It's open source. So, I mean, I, I'm fine with it. And in the company, we have nobody using Windows operating system. So I'm pretty proud of this. <laughs> we, we, we can still make it for now. We are 20. I know that maybe later, uh, we, if we grew, maybe we have to, to do it. But for now, uh, we're clean. <laughs> we're clean. And, and then if you had to write some code, what would your favorite scripting language be? Uh, this is an excellent question. And this is a question that um, I would say... Um, I'm asking a lot of time because when you are, you know, uh, aggregating a lot of different projects like we do with XCPNG, uh, we are we we are seeing seeing a lot of different language. Uh, uh, I, I would answer in a more broader scope than just for scripts, but uh, uh, I've seen now the cost of maintaining different languages and different technologies, and I would say that there's no silver bullet, obviously. But it's harder to maintain language where there is uh, it, they are less popular. For example, the API of Zen Server and XCPNG is written in OCaml, which is a great language. But it's really hard to find people. It's like Haskell, you know. It's hard to find mm -hmm. really uh, people trained with those skills. So for me, it's harder to have contribution, etc. So I would say that I have not uh, that bad experience with uh, JavaScripts. Uh, for, ex for example, in, in it's it's not for everything, but at least for Xenoptistra, we are using it both for the back end and the front end. And this is something that's uh, really good because you don't have to train people to, you know, use another language when they work on the back end and the front end. So the the, the good thing about JavaScript and Node.js is you, you can keep the same language for both. But obviously, it's not for everything. We are using a lot of Python. Uh, it's really simple. I, I really like Python because you can write it and, and modify it uh, really easily. So that's that's really cool. Uh, and when you are working on low level stuff, uh, C is everywhere, and C is I would say not that bad. I mean, I prefer to have to to get people to maintain something in C than C which is far more complicated. All right, that's a definitely a fair answer. Um, okay, so that has been uh, that has been Oliver. Um, <clears throat> let's see, uh, Oliver Lambert. Uh, I feel sorry for for Randall now, always having <laughs> yep. to scroll to find things. Uh, no Oliver Lambert, thank you, thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, Simon, what do you think? Well, it's uh, interesting to see a, a project that is using the right to fork to do something so creative uh, and and. Uh, uh, it isn't a fit of peak, but is actually producing something that's good for the company and for the users. Uh, the overall project, I'm definitely not qualified to talk about. The closest I come to virtualization uh, is when I'm running VirtualBox to uh, host the only copy of Windows that we have on the premises. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Um, no, I think I think... First off, it is. It's really interesting that they have. They've done this fork, and it sounds like they've done it in such a way that they haven't burned any of their bridges, which uh, different communities, I think, can learn from. Uh, because the ability to fork code is great and super important, but the way you see it go down in certain communities is it's in the midst of a, essentially a flame war, a war of some sort. And that's unfortunate because there's there's something to be said for, you know, even in the midst of a fork, cooperating as much as you can. Um, but then also on the on the virtualization side of things, on the technology side, um, you don't hear as much about Zen 
anymore. Everything seems to be either KVM or, or containers, you know, as far as the world that I, I work in. Um, but it's it's one of those deals where it's good to have multiple options. Um, I mean, it's the same reason why it's important to have both Intel and AMD in the processor space, and it's important to have x86 and ARM in the uh, processor space. Um, that you've got to have those options to keep moving things forward and to have that competition. So it, it's 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 excellent to see an open source project around Zen, and it sounds like they're they're really going out of their way to try to do everything correctly. Yeah, and uh, you know, I remember us uh, uh, opting for Zen when I was at Sun. And um, the, the the whole reason for going for it was because it was uh, uh, so um, uh, independent of the architecture and strategies of other companies. So I think mm-hmm. keeping Zen going, you know, it's what is it now? It's uh, 17 years old now. Uh, keeping keeping it going, keeping it alive, keeping it evolving is a thoroughly good thing for everybody because it means that when the current um, uh, trends blow over there will be a mature technology under a mature license with a mature community waiting to step in and rescue us. <laughs> yes, and that's important. Um, well, so coming up for Floss Weekly, we have scheduled on the 29th Contractor, which is uh, it's kind of different. It's a generic API builder. Uh, it's a it's a framework for making frameworks, I suppose you could say. Uh, and then on May 6th, we have Presto, which is a distributed SQL query engine. Uh, if your data is spread throughout the internet, then Presto might just be the tool you need to be able to process all of that data at once. Uh, on May 13th, we have NetData, uh, which is system health monitoring and performance troubleshooting. If I remember correctly, this is a reschedule for NetData. We had some, some trouble trying to hook up with them a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then on May 20th is MindsDB, which their claim is it's machine learning in one line of code, which sounds really interesting. Uh-huh. Um Yes, there there are some uh, there are some slots open after the twentieth. So if your project or a project you know about would like to uh, appear on Floss Weekly and talk to us, have them send an email to Randall. That's Merlin at Stonehenge.com, and uh, he will get you scheduled up. And we're certainly hopeful that next week uh, Randall can join us again. Uh, sad to see him out, um, but Simon, I want to say thank you so much for being here and helping me put the show together. Well, thank you. you. You took me away for some quality time with my uh, sourdough starter, whose name is Remus, and with my cat. But apart from that, it hasn't really been too much of a disruption. Uh, yes, that's great. Uh, well, um, as we wrap up, I'll just mention that you can follow me on Twitter at JP underscore Bennett. Uh, get my um, security and open source thoughts. And on the rarest of occasions, I'll slip and say something political. Don't hold it against me. I still love you. Um, and then follow me over at hackaday.com. I do a weekly security column there and uh, every once in a while something else in between. Uh, that comes out every Friday morning. Uh, Simon, anything you wanted to plug? Uh, really, I'm just uh, in these times of lockdown, very keen for people to uh, stay in touch. Follow me on Twitter. I'm Webmink. Uh, follow me uh, in other places where I'm also Webmink. Uh, sponsor me on Patreon. I'm on. I'm also Webmink, and I'm even on GitHub sponsors as Webmink. So uh, come and look for Webmink, and it'll probably be me. All right. Well, thank you so much, Simon, for being here, and thank you everyone for watching this episode of Floss Weekly.